the Mount Diablo Peace and Justice Center. The event will be held at Mount Diablo Unitarian Universalist Church, 55 Eckley Lane, Walnut Creek. More information on mtdpc.org or call 925-933-7850. And you are tuned into KPFA Berkeley, KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFC up in Fresno. Also online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned next for Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the Divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, September the 6th, 2011. That's 2011. I hope you had a not too laborious Labor Day yesterday. Aha, right. Ah, in the light, the light, the light of the labors lost. All my labors were lost yesterday. I made a list of movies that I thought were a appropriate for Labor Day. And uh, then I spun out. Uh, oh, dear. I, I started trying to figure out why the working class is now called the middle class. But I think you know why. Uh, I think you can figure all that out. History happens. If I have time later during my little half hour, I want to uh tell you something about, well, a little backstory about the culture wars and how we got to where we are and why the women in the 30s laughed at the women in the 50s and uh, how we went round and round. But I want, just in case I run out of time, I want to skip right to the movie that I focused on, uh, tried to focus on. It's called The Help. And... um I wrote a whole uh, oh a page here of disclaimers. I'll just throw that away. Um, I figure KPFA listeners are grown-ups. They know that if we're talking about something, we uh, recommend it. Uh, I don't do thumbs up, thumbs down. That's not the way I do things. Uh, although, I do try to say what I like, you know, and then you can... You can consider the source as time goes by, you know. It's getting harder and harder for some of us uh, uh, to narrow things down till they mean something. Anyway, I, as I watched this movie, I thought how hard it is for writers to grasp the nettle, that is to get hold of the past, the pain of the past, and to do it without... You know, without stereotyping, without muddying the waters, without cliches. Now, uh, I do want to say right off, for those of you who read the book, The Help, 
uh, I have not read the book. So okay. maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I made a mistake. Uh, that's okay because the movie stands alone. Most of the people who see it will not have read the book. I found that there was a discrepancy between the script and the the uh, well the production and the amazing actors. Uh, an absolutely stunning cast. Uh, there are moments when the script sounds generic or familiar. You know, I thought, oh yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. The uh, what does call it? The nineteen sixties. It's set in the nineteen sixties, and there was a couple lines. You know, when the women put down the men, it was just uh, too familiar. Anyway, this is a story dealing with black women who work in white homes in Jackson, Mississippi. The date is 1960, and we're supposed to, well, we assume that this is uh, more fact than fiction, possibly, uh... We had a white girl coming home from college. Skeeter is her name. Eugenia, I believe, is her name. Anyway, Skeeter comes home from Old Miss. And she wants to do journalism. And uh, the editor back in New York says, tells her to write about what she knows. And uh, she gets a, a job writing, uh, oh, what do you call it, Dear Abby Letters for a local paper in Jackson. And... <laughs> It's one of those jobs that the guy gives her the job because he figures she can't do any harm. And uh, she's just out of school. The only recommendation she has is a letter, a rejection letter she got from a, an editor. Right. Anyway, she says she wants to write about the lives of the maids in Jackson, one of whom raised her. And that would be uh, a Cecily Tyson, a woman Cecily Tyson is amazing here. She gets to be the, what would you call it? Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, she's a kind of saint. Anyway, she's called Constantine. Anyway, we get not just labor issues. It's not just about working class angst. We get the legacy of slavery. We get the facts of Jim Crow. We get... Feminism up the wazoo everywhere. The sexism that permeates the lives of all of these women, you know, it's like I always see um, sexism uh, or patriarchy, let's just call it what it is, patriarchy, as the quintessential form of sadomasochism. The first, you know, the thing that all forms of oppression are modeled upon. Uh, anyway, there's a moment when Cecily Tyson, uh, she, she appears as a memory fairly early on in the movie. Uh, she has gone away and she's actually, uh, died, but, uh, the, the, uh, central character Skeeter does not know this yet. Um, they use that for suspense, I guess. Anyway, there's a scene when she remembers, Skeeter remembers her childhood, uh, and how the, uh, the, uh, what is it? The the bad feelings she had, the lack of self-esteem she had as a young girl uh, was soothed by Cecily Tyson, who was there to tell her that she was a real person. Uh, right. Uh, Constantine, Cecily Tyson, gives her the strength 
that she needs, you know, to become this journalist hero. I had such a person in my childhood. Her name was Julie Wright. Uh, Lillian Hellman had such a woman, and I've forgotten her name because I was reading it, oh gosh, last year. Lillian Hellman, the playwright. She had a uh, supportive, I guess nanny is the word. I don't know. Mammy was the word when Margaret Mitchell wrote about it in Gone with the Wind. But, you know, <laughs> she had a real... A real old-fashioned. She had a 1930s version of uh, the Southern Mammy. Anyway, Skeeter's pretty angry with her mother. Uh, her mother only wants to see her marriage. She's not interested in her career. And, of course, the mother is one of those who tried to louse up her self-esteem, her vision of herself. Uh, and, of course... Uh, she has to have somebody to look up to, so she has these older black women, the so-called maids. Uh, Cecily Tyson, well, no, no, it isn't that one. It's the other one, uh, the maid that uh, is working for her mom now who says, uh, your mother didn't choose her life. It chose her. You got it. Uh, well, I guess that would be true. That would be the women raised in before World War II. Anyway, she tells the young woman that she will do great things. She's the role model. Uh, I thought about all those white babies. You know, we've got a lot of books and films about the children who've been raised by what I call the black Madonnas. Um, there's a lot of films about South Africa. Uh, all this business about giving you a soul, about giving you yourself. Uh, it's not just Lillian Hellman. Let's see, there's a list that I made somewhere years ago about all the Southern writers, not just the Gothic writers, but some of the, the later ones. Uh, you know, uh, let's see, there was Bernice in Carson McCullers' play, I Am a Camera, uh, another saint Ah, uh, yes, it's uh, American history. Tony Kirshner has a play about the woman who raised him. I believe the name was Caroline, right? Truman Capote's Other Voices, Other Rooms. That was a heartbreaking story. Um, all the Southern writers seem to have a spin or a take on this, I would call it a great archetype, this black woman who was the mother of our country. I guess we could take it back to Sally Hemings, but that's another story. I'll save that one. Uh, Sally Hemings, of course, was the, I guess, common law wife, or legally she would be the concubine of Thomas Jefferson, one of our early presidents. Now, in this movie, The Help, we got a new generation here. We got a new generation of writers, anyway, and they're trying to tell us what happened in 1960. And there's a lot of twists and turns. Uh, some people won't like the scatological stuff. Uh, mm, toilets will offend somebody somewhere. Not too bad, but uh, I don't actually know the facts on that one myself, which is a shame because uh, I should know exactly what the laws were uh Maybe there were laws in Jackson about having inside and outside toilets for the help. 
outside toilets for the help, that is, and inside toilets for the people who lived in the house. I suppose, uh, I suppose it's possible that there were such laws. At least there was the spirit, uh, the total spirit of separateness. I think of all the things about, you know, uh, the untouchable quality, uh, this business of, you know, the swimming pools, that's the kind of thing that I was exposed to only once, I remember, uh, the notion that we mustn't share swimming pools. And we put a stop to that, but that was that was in Tucson, and that was a slightly different culture. Anyway, the help spill, spins, oh, at least a dozen characters. They, they take on a lot in this movie, uh... I think we got some truly unique individuals. There were, um, well, the white trash lady was a lot of fun. I think she was there to be funny and to show that uh, uh, it takes all kinds. Anyway, I was most interested in the young mother, the one who neglects her daughter, her little, I guess she was three or four years old. She doesn't doesn't change her diapers and uh, the maid understands uh, that this woman should not have been a parent uh, she's what is it she's uh, the maid is gone for 10 hours at a time at night and this baby isn't taken care of and mom is pregnant again and I take that sort of thing very seriously um, actually the older women stood out in this picture uh we had sissy spacek who i kept remembering her in an earlier film uh here she plays an elder who gets shunted into the nursing home but she won't take that no she won't do it she's she's funny here but she's also uh snippy let's see it was a movie she made with Whoopi goldberg some years back called the long walk home in which she played the naive white uh housewife who she wants her maid available that's Whoopi Goldberg and so she goes and picks her up in her car and this causes trouble there's a bus boycott going down and so she awakens to the issue and of course that's the end of her marriage and uh she and Whoopi Goldberg um make common cause uh Whoopi Goldberg was asked once why she was making so many uh, light-hearted movies and not serious, heavy-duty socio-political movies. And she talked about the long walk home. And she said, people stayed away in droves. That's the way of it. Anyway, the elders here are interesting. Most of all is Allison Janey. She's the mother of the journalist, the central character, yes. Allison Janey, you know from... Oh, gosh, uh, the television series The West Wing was a favorite of a lot of people. Uh, Alison Janey is one of our major, major actors now. Uh, I see her everywhere. She does a lot of stage work. But anyway, she's a collaborator. And uh, the truth is, she fired Skeeter's nanny Constantine. Because, well, apparently we see a scene in which uh, Constantine and her daughter Rachel, uh, well, act out. It's the daughter Rachel who acts out in front of the Daughters of America, they call it in the film. That would be uh, Daughters of the American Revolution, which would be the 
southern, uh, the southern group, you know, the D, the DAR, yes, Daughters of the American Revolution, which is a very southern outfit. And Allison Janey is cowed by these women who say that she should not put up with this behavior from her servants. And, um, she knuckles under and uh, she fires Constantine, uh, and, of course, uh, Constantine dies shortly after, and we see that this is a heartbreak for both women, for both the uh, oppressor and the oppressed. Um, that was a hard one to write. I don't know whether it came off. It seems, you know, the daughter comes in and she uh, is denied access through the front door, and there is a scene. Uh, that was a stretch. But anyway... <laughs> The book is finally written, a book called The Help. Uh, Mary Steenburgen is the New York editor, and the book about the maids is written by Skeeter. And the maids, each one gets $46, a total of $600, $46 a piece for their stories when, when the book is published, right? Uh, Mary Steenburgen doesn't really have much of a part in this, but uh, she's there to, to show... Uh, you know, that the world is changing. She says to Skeeter, you're 23 years old and an adult woman. Get yourself an apartment. Move out of that house, you know. Anyway, uh, Skeeter talks a little bit about uh, Margaret Mitchell glorifying or romanticizing the mammy role. And uh, I thought it would be fun to have Hattie McDaniel come back and see this show and see what she thought, you know, the point being that... Uh, these are women who are raising the children of these white women. And uh, we need to get their stories. Yes, I see. Yeah, in the end, yes, Skeeter loses her boyfriend and that old world. Right? You, you got Bob Dylan songs coming in with It Ain't Me, Babe. <laughs> yes. I, I thought of all the books that I read, oh gosh, in the 70s. About the moms, uh, Richard Wright's mother, how he felt about her, James Baldwin's mom. Uh, Richard Wright said some things which were, I guess, sympathetic but not kind. He felt that his mother's lack of sexual satisfaction accounted for some of her unhappiness or bad behavior. Uh, that sort of thing, hmm. I remember, um, well, Spike Lee's mom, I guess that requires another, another whole essay to figure out what was going on in the heads of the children. Dick Gregory wrote a book, uh, he used the N-word, you remember, to title his book, and he said, you see, mom, whenever you see that word now, you'll know they're just advertising my book. What he said about his mother, who died of cancer very young, was um, completely sympathetic, but a little heartbroken. He said that she seemed sometimes to identify more with the family she worked for. I mean, after all, at that house, uh, you know, there was uh, electricity, things like that, you know, whereas at home things were so grimy and miserable that, um, well, anyway, that is another subject. Uh, the... Men in this film hmm, were just too sketchy. Uh, 
The role that Alison Janey plays, I think, was one of the most developed of the older characters dying of cancer or something like that. Uh, she says to her daughter, finally, she says, courage sometimes skips a generation, and she thanks her daughter for bringing it back. And that was the point at which I thought, okay, we're back to the after-school special feeling that this is uh, this is the way we're supposed to think because we're good liberals. <laughs> Toni Morrison... Tony Morrison would have a lot to say about this movie. I, I wish I could have just picked up the phone and asked her. Uh, remember, she had a great line once saying, a mammy can be a mother. Yes, a whore can be a lover. We can all do the things we need to do. All we need is imagination. We all know that there are films and books everywhere about this so-called special relationship that went on down south and... uh of course, the full range of human relationships is in evidence anywhere you look. Uh, I've thought sometimes that uh, I need to spend some time or more time in the South. I've only glimpsed that world. And, you know, uh, the North is different. Um, there are a couple books out now about the Great Migration after World War II. How so many black Americans split and left the South. And there's a movie that I liked a lot in which the young people decide to stay down South. It's an old picture called Nothing But a Man with Abby Lincoln and, uh, uh, is it Ivan or Ian Dixon? Ivan Dixon. Um, he, he was in old television series. You remember him. Anyway, there was a great classic film, Nothing But a Man. It's about young couple who try to make it and most of the problems stem from the fact that the man can't settle down and Abby Lincoln wants a a real family and uh, the young man has to go and get his child uh, he has a little child another woman and uh, bring the child home and each one of them uh, the couple each one has a father and uh, his father is a burnout and her father is a uh, collaborator, a local clergyman. Each one has a cross to bear, as we say. Anyway, she says that they might just well stay right where they are and try to work things out there. As it Booker Washington used to say, put your buckets down where you are. <laughs> of course, Booker T. Washington was not a screaming radical. Uh, they keep telling us that. I think that uh, Booker T. Washington was a great man, just the way uh, Malcolm was. Uh, anyway, working through these these problems, uh, I think the South tells us that after centuries of living together under the yoke of the horrors of chattel slavery... Uh, and of Jim Crow and then of the civil rights struggle and struggles today, I don't think we can expect things to be peachy keen, peachy keen. I don't know if we do have a better chance in the north or out west. We certainly have a whole new set of problems or challenges, as everybody says. <laughs> Look at Oakland. Take Berkeley. Take New York City. I was looking at James Baldwin's book, Go Tell It on the Mountain, which has the most sympathetic portrait of a mother that 
I can think of offhand. Uh, I liked James Baldwin's book, Another Country, when I was young, because I thought that James Baldwin had written the definitive Creole novel, that is, the novel in which everybody is in the mix. And I expected that there would be more and more of those novels. Uh, I don't see them coming. I still see this struggle over what so many uh, black scholars call the color line. Tavis Smiley was talking last night to this <laughs> black professor from Harvard Law, right? <laughs> he has a new book out all about the color line, not race, that's biology, but about the color line. Uh, oh, well, Clarence Thomas broke my heart, but I guess uh, that was to be expected. Uh, I didn't figure that we would get <laughs> another Thurgood Marshall on the Supreme Court, but I had hopes. Anyway, there's another movie. Uh, let's see, what was the last one I saw? It just drove me up the wall because I think it will just add to the confusion. There's a movie called Skin. It's a movie that's all about South Africa, in which we have a child of Afrikaners. And she's the child of Sam Neill and another uh, white Afrikaner. <laughs> they are the descendants of the immigrants from Scandinavia back in the 17th century. And uh, they have a child who is very light-skinned, and uh, she keeps being classified, reclassified, first white, then colored, and back and forth. And uh, it's based on a true story. Uh, I recommend it for those of you who find this stuff uh, not just absurd, but heartbreaking, uh, this hardening of the categories that seems to be endemic in uh human beings. I always thought when I was young that it would all go away, that, you know, we would grow tea-colored and everybody would get it. But I was wrong about that. Uh, we seem to set up a whole new, uh, what do you call it, schema for otherness, for otherism. Always we find reasons to separate ourselves from others. Uh, anyway, uh, I checked out last night a book, well, no, a, a movie about the, uh, uh, oh, the, the Million Man March on Washington that I thought was funny. And <laughs> it's supposed to be about the men. It's got Ozzie Davis and, uh, and all the brothers taking a bus to the Million Man March. And I found that, uh, it was what it was an introduction, but, it was basically about the problems of, uh, well, the problems of gender, uh, the father-son calamity we have here, this problem we have of uh, men not being able to relate, relate to their their sons. And uh, I couldn't figure out, what is it, where to put it in, in my list of, of consciousness-raising efforts. Uh, I think Spike Lee, oh, what was it, uh, he has an actress friend that he put in his first movie, his second movie. Uh, oh gosh, now I've forgotten her name, but uh, she was the one. She told him, yes, all men are dogs. And they asked her what she thought of Spike Lee. And she said, well, he's a little better than a dog. But it's funny. I think that the uh, 
the men are still trying to understand the women. And uh, uh, I don't know whether it's a good idea for us to understand each other. I think it might make a lot more sense if we all just gave each other a hug and tried to understand, uh, you know, that life is a painful process. Uh, I think... uh, Uh, I think I'll be back next Tuesday at this same time. And by then, I hope that some of these things have settled in my poor little worn-out brain. Uh, uh, This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. And I'll be back on the air at 3 o'clock Tuesday. Till then, you go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, director of the Pacifica Radio Archives. Ten years after the tragedy of 9-11, Pacifica Radio will present a national broadcast featuring special programming from each Pacifica radio station and the archives that examines its impact on American society. We invite you, the listener, to be part of the Pacifica Radio Archives Hour by including your voice along with those of Stephen Rohde, Howard Zinn, Maxine Waters, June Jordan, Bertrand Russell, Jermaine Greer, and many others. Tell us about how you heard about the attack, what you did, how you feel ten years later, or perhaps you heard something on Pacifica Radio that was extraordinary. The subject is wide open. Call us at 1-800-735-0230. We want to hear how 9-11 changed your life or your worldview. These will be part of the commemoration broadcast on September 11, 2011. The message number again is 1-800-735-0230.